Welcome to Mango Solutions Data-Driven Nirvana podcast series, where we'll be exploring a range of topics for businesses around data science and data engineering. I'm Dave Harris, and I'm joined today in the studio by Rich Pugh, the Chief Data Scientist and co-founder of Mango, and David Gardner, who leads the data science teams at Mango. And we'll be discussing how finding the right use case for data science can often mean the difference to the success or failure of an analytic project. Have you ever heard the phrase, right answer, wrong question? Well, too often businesses spend significant resources and unnecessary costs solving the wrong data science question. Why? Because too many organisations fail to define what they are ultimately aiming to achieve at the start of any project. We're going to discuss why this is often the case and how an organisation needs to go about finding the right question as well as the right answer. So Dave, if I could turn to you first, when we were planning these podcasts, this topic was one that you both, you and Rich, both felt strongly you wanted to include. Tell me why. I think for both of us, it's something we're, we're really passionate about because ultimately we've seen over the years too many examples of some absolutely brilliant data science, you know, really groundbreaking, impressive work that hasn't inspired any change in the business whatsoever because data scientists will set the wrong question to go and answer. A lot of the time, you know, people start investing a lot of time, a lot of money into building these things without realizing that actually they're not what they really want and that doesn't lead to the right outcome. So, you know, as an example, we saw a model recently where the client issue was around thinking about whether they wanted to proactively replace an asset in order to minimize costs because they think it might cost a lot to repair in the next year. What actually happened was that a model was built that forecasts the number of repairs that asset might need in the next year. That's part of the ways of the problem, but ultimately the business user can't make a decision based on that information alone. So a great model, but it didn't quite get there in terms of doing what they needed it to do. Mm. I've seen this as well. I think you're, up, you're, you're right, and I think you both said it. You know, you can spend an awful lot of time and money in brilliantly solving the wrong problem, and that's, for me, it's the most crucial part of a data science pro- project. So, so, for example, I know of a project where um, they were trying to optimise behaviours in a call centre, and they built, uh, they got the data, they built the model, uh, worked beautifully uh, on the laptop, created this wonderful model, and they actually, when they wanted to roll out into production, they found that in the call centre they rolled it out in, the call centre staff had objectives around how long they spend on the phone, which was never explained or wasn't found in the data. So after 10 seconds, if the call operator thought nothing was going to happen, they would just put the phone down. Now, that means that all the analysis that was done, of course, went completely out the window because they they, they couldn't understand, they didn't see this fact. So, So that's where another example where the question might have been right, but not understanding the context and the, and the change that would need to take place means it was the wrong question to answer. But finding the right question, it, on the face of it, it doesn't sound as if that would be too difficult. Why do you think it does go wrong so often? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And it's it, it, it's difficult, right? Because I think when you're... When you started an analytic project, it, 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 you wanna, it, it's very tempting to rush forward and go and start work. And so I think you can very easily skip over this section, assume the question is exactly the right one, and start very quickly, go and get the data and, 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 and so on. Fundamentally, finding the right question needs two types of people who are collaborating around a unified vision. That is a, a business person, if you like, who obviously has the challenge, right? This is the, the person living the problem right now uh, and, and, and would like uh, help. And someone who understands data, so a data scientist and analyst who understands the opportunity and what's possible. Now, the challenge, I think, is that 
once these two people need to come to the the, the right question, they, they are fundamentally speaking a different language. There's no real uh, bridge between them. And therefore, what can happen is either the analyst or the data scientist takes a lead. And if the data scientist is coming up with a question without the business person involved, maybe, or as involved, they might choose the wrong one, or they might choose, you know, the question that isn't impactful, or they might just choose the one that's interesting to them, right, from an analytic perspective. Whereas if a business user is choosing the question, they don't understand what is and isn't possible, and therefore preconceptions might limit their thinking about, you know, which challenge to actually go after. So, so it really needs, you know, I, I think that's the, big, the biggest challenge is that, is that you have this kind of language barrier. So I'll, I'll give you a quick example. So we worked for a film distribution company, and they were really fascinated with a, a question, which was, how do you predict box office, right? So a film comes out of the weekend. Can I predict how much box office takes? In that's going to have and, and and again as data scientists you hear was like predict and you you know immediately thinking of different classes of models time series maybe etc but we sat there and we said okay why why would you want to do this and, and eventually uh, our client said well actually if, if we get to a point where we can you know predict box office we know how to optimize our marketing spend and you say oh, okay so the question is actually how do you optimize your marketing spend to achieve some particular outcome? And when we drilled into why they didn't ask that question initially, um, essentially it was because the business users and the stakeholders there felt that the, actually the question they posed was a data science question. It had the word predict in it, right? So it's, it's about analytics. And so they didn't feel they could ask the real question. So there's an example where we could have run off, you know, and answered the predicting the box office question brilliantly maybe, and, 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 and it wouldn't have had any impact. So an early conversation and an early steer helped us to, to get to the right question instead. It's interesting we've come back to the why question, uh, which is so important, obviously, in all of this. But Dave, talk to me about the language thing, because that clearly is fundamental here. You know, uh, Rich has just referred to the, you know, the different types of language being spoken by different types of people, the analysts versus the, the business people. So you, in a sense, I think, in your world, if I'm right in saying this, you kind of have to bridge that gap. So tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. It's something I very much see myself as someone who sits in that gap between the two groups. So I wouldn't describe myself as a data scientist. I don't have the core technical skills to do that, but I do understand what they can do and I can translate that to what business leaders need to do. So yeah, sitting in that gap, I do very much see the two extremes. I think as well as a language gap, it's a bit of a cultural gap. I mean, ultimately your stereotypical data scientist, they don't particularly care about the end point, right? They're not always bothered about, okay, what is someone gonna do on this basis, stereotypically? they're interested in the solution. Like Rick said, you know, what te technique am I going to use here? What method, what exciting tool could I implement? That's where their head will actually gravitate towards. On the other end of the spectrum, I guess a stereotypical, non-analytical savvy business user, they don't care about the solution, they care about the outcome. So they can care less what method of model you used. They just want to know what do they need to do. So bringing those two groups together is really difficult. So we do a lot of workshop-based approaches. So getting, getting everyone in the same room, I think is really important. We do a piece about educating both sides. So you wanna help analysts understand the business context, but equally the business users do need to gravitate towards understanding analytics as well. 
that's critical, right? I, I, there's a there's a lovely phrase in the data world which I hear a lot, which is um, you know that building a data driven business is about coffee and cake, right? So you you know someone like uh, Dave or myself who who obviously understand the possibilities of analytics go and talk to a business person, and you know we have coffee and cake. I believe that's the idea. I'm, I'm not sure who pays, but you know that's that's fine. And during that conversation, you you each side is kind of asking questions, and at one point you might make a connection and go, aha, you have that challenge. I know how to solve that challenge. Let's do it. But it, it feels a little bit of a, a kind of scattergun approach, right? You, you know, it's quite unlikely that that exact moment happens in that conversation. And ultimately, it's not scalable because, you know, ultimately there's there's not there's not a huge abundance of, of people who have, say, Dave's skill set, who can actually go and have a business conversation with a, with, with a, with a stakeholder, but with that knowledge of all the things that are possible to be able to apply. So, so it's not a scalable approach. So, you know, teaching that language, giving the business users, you know, a simple language around analytics, and, and I'm not advocating we take business users and turn them into data scientists or statisticians. That's that's not useful, right? But if we can teach a simple language around words like, you know, what does the word model mean in a business context, right? What, what does a business user need to know about the word model in order to understand what we're talking about, right? So what is a model? It's fundamentally like a rule of thumb, right? I mean, that's that sort of language, if we can give people some nice terminology, then we can really collaborate to find the, the right question. So Dave, how, how do you go about finding the right question, assuming you can and kind of overcome some of these language difficulties and so on. So I think for me, that you know, the first thing, as we talked about before, you know, it's educating the business. It's trying to close that language gap. It's getting the right people in the right room. I guess conceptually for me, it's about stepping back from the data problem that you think you have and thinking about the business problem and then how you can apply data to that in conjunction with other things. So analogy I like to use is that back 10, 15 years ago, data science was like a toolbox and you had your manual screwdrivers and your hand drills and whatever else it might be. Nowadays, data science is a bit more like a set of power tools, right? They're cordless, they're powerful, they can do things much faster. What we're still doing, though, is we're still buying flat pack wardrobes and we're just drilling the screws in faster. That's kind of fine. But actually, the fact we have these much more powerful tools means we can reimagine things. Instead of buying an IKEA flat pack, what about if we thought about a um, fitted wardrobe to go in our space that fits it much more exactly and is a much better solution to the problem? So for me, instead of going, I want a model, I want a forecast, step back, think about the business outcome, and then with the right people in the room, jointly create an approach blending analytics and data with human factors as well to solve it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think going after the big, impactful questions first, without any preconceptions of whether or not there's a solution. I think one of the, the best um, projects that we were involved in was around, uh, was for a firm who makes coffee. So they were, uh, you know, they make a number of brands of coffee and what they were trying to do is they were trying to make a consistently tasting coffee. So, you know, if you if you buy a coffee brand from the supermarket, one thing you you, you want is, is consistency, right? If, you're, if that brand tasted completely different every time you bought it off the shelf, you'd stop buying it, right? So so they were trying to find a way of actually making consistent coffee. And it took a focus on that's really the question we're trying to answer, that focus to actually come up with the realization that that could actually be answered analytically. So this firm now actually has analytically driven coffee recipes, which is brilliant. But but you do that, again, by not starting with a preconception of what we think is possible or, you know, we've got this data or I've read this blog post about this AI thing. We started it with what is the business question and can we go after it? So really, for me, it's about getting the right people in the room, as Dave said, and then 
talking about what the big challenges are and capturing these questions and, and, and then trying to assess how impactful they are and, and keep asking, you know, is that the real question? Is that really what's keeping you, you know, awake at night? And, and, and that's where to start for me. And if I could just follow up on your coffee example there, because it strikes me that it's not very intuitive that consistency of the taste of coffee could be a problem solved by data. I mean, on the face of it, yeah, that just doesn't. That those two things don't seem like they're even in the same room. No, exactly. So, so you've got to convince people that that is a problem that you didn't even think in conjunction with data. Data can solve that problem. Exactly, and it's exactly where you know that film distribution example. It's exactly where you you turn up and there's a question, and you keep having to say, yeah, but what's what's the real question? What are you? What is the thing that's keeping you awake at night? What you really? And with a with a coffee example, it was lovely because someone eventually went, oh my my real big challenge is making consistent coffee, and of course. As a data scientist, I sit there going, well, oh dear, I know nothing about coffee. I've stumbled into the wrong room somehow, right? But but then you kind of sit back and go, actually, that's an optimization problem. I, I can solve that. But I think it's a lovely example for me because unless you use nice examples like this, well, they are a bit off the wall, right? It's not your your standard churn or attrition or whatever model. It, it is a bit off the wall. That opens up people to the thinking about, well, actually, if, if, if coffee can be, you know, better made using analytics, maybe the thing that I'm worried about can be, can be improved. And, and so I think those, those examples are important just to open people's eyes and, and, and kind of take away the preconceptions and say, look, what's really worrying me is this. And I think that's the way to start. Let's assume that we've, we've found all these questions, Dave. You know, we've, we've, we've identified some really good questions, whether it's about the, the consistency of the taste of our coffee or, uh, or, our, uh, or marketing for our box office or whatever it is. So what happens next? So I think once you've got the right question, the important thing then becomes about making sure that stays the right question, making sure you don't drift off over time through a project. So one thing we always do is put together just a simple project charter the start of a project is list out what's the business problem what's the context and then what's the analytical solution or problem we're trying to solve and how does that fit together with the overall picture so i think having that kind of clear view of what we need to be doing how that fits into what's going on around the business that's really important to keep people on track as you go along yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And actually, you, you picked up on something really good there, Dave. The, the, the project charter that's been a real game changer for us in terms of how we how we are able to compare. Because I, I think very often you end up with you know an, a number of possible questions that you could go after, and you have to be able to quickly compare and understand which is the which which horse to back essentially. So having a structured template that asks some of the critical questions allows you to quickly assess the impact and the viability of each question and you know, and choose the one to go forward with. And presumably you've got to be sure, Dave, that the client is really understands, you know, the the importance of the question so that you you know, rather than you sort of coming up with some suggestions and them saying, Oh yeah, that sounds good, you know, they've really got to understand it at a fundamental level, presumably. Yeah, absolutely. It's that it's that fully collaborative process. Um as I said, the the important thing is having everyone in the same room because ultimately a business user left by themselves like the coffee example wouldn't know that analysis could solve a problem an analyst left by themselves wouldn't perhaps understand how they could apply what they do to the business issues translating is important but equally over time i think both groups need to learn to move together and close that language gap themselves without always needing someone sitting in the middle mm. and it's so tempted when you walk into a you know an organization where you know if you go into i, I don't know a 
claims area of an insurance company, let's say, and you're going to do a workshop and talk to them, you know, it's so tempting to walk in with, I understand your business. I, I know the challenges that you have. Which of these five should we do? You know, should we go and automate claims for the low level stuff? All these kind of things, right? So uh, you, you, you need to give enough case studies so that people, an example, so that people get inspired by, wow, we could do that too. But ultimately, what you don't want to do is to, is to almost kind of prejudge so that people almost don't think about their concerns and just grasp one of these things. Because, you know, there are nice, good examples out there, right? So a claims department, you could look at, you know, automating claims. You can look at claims resourcing, which you've done recently, you know, all these kind of things. But actually, if you prejudge too much, you end up not allowing the, the actual concern to come out in the room. So is there a, is, is there a sort of format uh, that a good question will sort of conform to. I mean, in other words, is you know, can we recognise a good question when we see it? Absolutely. A, a good analytic question has to have four things. Firstly, it needs to be impactful. So it it needs to add measurable business value. Okay. So fundamentally, that means it needs to make money or save money somewhere along the line. If, if that's your your objective, right? And and I think the word measurable is important there. This is a question that we can we can. There's going to add value, and we can measure that value against some baseline. So it's going to add value. The second thing for me is it's got to be solvable. Now this is quite a difficult one because you you're kind of prejudging the solution first, but. Especially right, you know, especially right now with the, with the buzz around AI, I see lots of projects where we want to, you know, solve this problem. And you go, oh, if I string together these four bits of bleeding edge AI and they all work perfectly every single time, that's a solution. Whereas actually, if there's a different problem, which is actually a proven approach, and let's do the churn model and attrition model, and actually we know that can make a lot of impact then you kind of go for that. So, so is it generally solvable? Is the organization ready to execute on the project? So that is, you know, do we have the data, right? Do we have the platform to deliver the insight to the end user to make the decision? And then the fourth thing for me, so you kind of got value, you've got the, you know, the solution, you've got whether or not we're ready to deliver. The fourth thing is most critical for me, which is actually, is the business ready to change? So if you do all this work, you're going to go through this investment, you're going to solve this challenge. Is someone going to do something fundamentally different the day after you roll this out than they did before? Because if they don't, if they're not going to change, then you're not going to realize the value. And that could be, like I say, a process change, a technical change. But someone has to change the way they do something in order to, to realize the value. Are they ready to do that? So, so for me, like I say, it's about four things. Value, the solution, whether or not we're ready, and the, uh, the change. I think for me a really simple test whether you got that is ultimately you think about your two groups your decision makers and the people doing the project does the decision maker say yes if you answer this question I can do what I need to do can the analyst answer the question yes I understand what I'm doing and how that answers the business question if those two things are there I think you've got a good question great so I understand now I think you know how we can recognize a good question but I want to worry about the converse of that red flags that you should look for which might tell you that actually it isn't the right question are, are there some of those I bug people a lot with the question so what Ultimately, a lot of what we do, what can happen with data science is we answer really interesting questions that can't develop a business change. So I keep asking, so what? I'm going to build a model that predicts how likely a customer is to churn. So what? What do I do with that? How does that do something? I'm going to build a model that tells you what action to take that reduces customer churn and high-value customers. Okay, that's a valuable question. You've answered the so what, and you've got to a really good place there. 
I think that's a, a great example, Dave. You know, I, I've seen projects where, you know, people want to do churn modeling or attrition modeling or something like that. And what you end up with is, is a situation where, you know, we've done all this work and we tell the customer, this client is 58% likely to churn. What are you going to do with that? What, what do you do with that? You know, what do you do? Is that is that good? Is that low? Is that high? Is that, you know, so actually, absolutely, like Dave says, turning it into a, what do I do in order to, right? You know, that's a good question for me. It's actually something that drives behavior. I, I think the other thing as well that we, we tend to find is that um, the question start, sometimes is biased by, I, I guess, again, some of the marketing hype that suggests that all you do is you put data in a big pile and throw an algorithm at it, that approach. We have a lot of clients who will come and talk to us about data science projects, but the question is, essentially comes down to, I have lots of data, tell me something. And as a data scientist, let me just say, that's, that's the worst question you can ever ask, right? Because it's so far away from something impactful in the business, right? I mean, you know, so let's imagine, you know, we get a lot of data together, we analyze it, and I tell you something. Well, I can either find nothing or I could tell you something that's completely irrelevant. So if you're in retail, you know, I analyze the data like crazy, and in three months I come back and I say, good news, I found out that on a Wednesday people call John buy more trousers, right? The business person goes, so what, essentially, right? So, so absolutely, it's got to start with a, with a business question. It also, and this is quite common right now, it also can't start with the solution, a big red flag, you mentioned red flags, a big red flag for me is when the solution's part of the question. So I have a lot I have a lot of conversations, you know, at the moment where people will say, um, the question is, we'd like to use AI in order to, and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. You've heard about the technology or you've heard about the solution, you've heard about this thing, and you just want to use it. And, and I literally have had, you know, people talk to me over the last 12 months saying, uh, you know, do you want to come and help me spend my AI budget? No. I, I really don't. I want to find a good question. Now, whether the solution is in the world of AI, whatever you draw the world of AI, or whether it's something simpler, you know, I want to add value, not not start with a, you know, a, a research piece. I'm not surprised that John buys trousers on a Wednesday, by the way. I, I, I've <laughs> always suspected that. So are there any other factors, do you think, Rich, to consider when you're looking for that good question? Well, I guess a lot of our conversation so far has has been based on the assumption that someone has created an analytic function in order to drive value in an organization. But the reality of the situation is that's not always the case, right? You know, we we see analytic functions that are set up as research teams or, you know, I, I know of one company that essentially has an analytic function just so the CIO can tell the board that they're, they're looking at AI, right? I mean, that, that's kind of where we are. So I, th- I think there's definitely a timing element to finding the right question. If you are under pressure to show value, absolutely, measurable value is all you go for. If you can't measure the value, do not do it. But actually, as you succeed and add value, then what you can do is maybe start slipping in some of the larger, thornier, more complex projects as part of a broader portfolio, right? Because I think a, a healthy analytic portfolio, and I don't know what you think of this, Dave, needs to include the the small, quick value stuff, the kind of moonshotty stuff, right? And and I think that's where having a, a healthy mix ultimately is is uh, you know is a good place to be, and, and and therefore you can kind of maybe streamline some of your questions together. That maybe some that that just add value, and some that are a little bit more blue sky thinking. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's about that mixture of kind of risk reward profiles and the projects you're doing. It's about having a mix and a good spread of people you're interacting with as well. So focusing all your time on one business unit may not be the best way of building consensus and building stakeholder buy-in across the business. So you need to think about touching different areas of the business making sure these ones you're working with 
are people who are willing to engage really you know you, you don't want to be talking to people who ultimately aren't bought into data science at all but mixing it around different bits of the business is important in your portfolio as well I give I give an example to this if I may um, which is uh, we worked with a client recently who um, were undertaking a, a data science project and the question they'd come up with which I think was a really really good one is um, you know how do I reduce the number of products I produce because ultimately there was a lot of wastage in the business so they're trying to work out how many of these products to produce versus demand which is a, which is a really good question right you're basically saying how do I reduce waste by you know, there's an action there, right? What, what do I, how do I behave to reduce waste and, and save this cost? So the, the project was very successful. You know, this, this company ended up in a situation where they could save some in the order of six to seven million pound a year by not creating products that, that aren't going to be sold. But interestingly, internally, the way that project was viewed at a top level was it was seen as a failure. And of course, you, you look at that and you go, actually, oh, really good question. We got a really good outcome from a, from a value perspective. What, what went wrong? You know, what, 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 what happened? And this might seem a little odd, but essentially that what went wrong is that the executive sponsor of the project felt it was a failure because the, the solution wasn't complex enough. By which what we mean is that, you know, when we were looking at this, this project, we found that actually it had a, a very good but quite simple modeling solution, right? It was a, it's essentially built a stats model that really kind of covered the data really well, which is great. But what we didn't understand was that the exec sponsor was seeing this as their AI investment. And so there was this kind of weird situation where we generated lots of value in the business. And yet now we need to, to make the, the solution more complex in order for it to, you know, so, so understanding all the objectives of an organization around these projects can drive you to the right question. And, and, and you know, there's an example where, you know, no one understood that was the objective. Otherwise, maybe we'd have gone a different way. Right? So... Dave, what steps do you think organisations need to be taking? I mean, we, you know, assuming that they, they kind of understand this stuff and they know they've got to find the right question and that's really important. So, so where do they start? So I think for me, the first thing is really elevating data-driven decision-making and the importance of finding the right question higher in the agenda and higher actually in the hierarchy of the company. You know, we've seen the rise of positions, you know, chief information officer, chief data officer, chief data scientist. These terms weren't around 10, 15, 20 years ago. So, you know, we are seeing that voice of data-driven decision-making being made higher up the business. But equally still too often, you know, the data people within a function are kind of seen as a service. You can use them if you want, but you don't want to, that's fine. What about if we lived in a world where the, some of the data-driven people were starting to hold actually some of the business people to account? So saying, well, why aren't you using data to make this decision? We think you could make it better by doing X, Y, or Z. And having that little bit of pressure on people to embed data in what they're doing by raising the leaders up in the business, I think is really important. So, Rich, this brings us back to cultural change, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think it comes back to all the things we've been saying about language and so on, right? So, so when, you, when you're looking for good questions to answer and, 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 and you know, ways to make impact, you want to start with the business, right? You absolutely want to start with, don't start with the data, don't start with the solution, don't start with preconceptions, you know, don't don't walk around a business with a, an AI-shaped hammer and look for something to hit, right? That's not the way you add value. What you start with is, you know, what are the objectives of the business? Where's the business going? What are the key challenges the business has today? And for me, okay, I, I'm a data scientist, so I kind of, I kind of, this is my view, but I start with the, the assumption that every single decision in the world today can be made better with data. 
every challenge can be solved. The coffee example, I think, is a great example where, like you say, no one would expect that's solvable with data, right? But it turns out it is. So I always start with a premise that every challenge can be solved with data. So let's have a conversation about the challenges, and then we'll work backwards to find a solution. And I, that's the way I'd, I'd suggest people work. So equally, every decision potentially could be made better with data, but every decision probably made it with better with data plus people. So blending data and insight with the knowledge and experience you have in the business, because you don't want to throw away all of that, right? You need to keep a blend of both of those. Data can augment what you do, in some cases replace, but most often the most powerful combination is human plus data and insight. You've been listening to the Data Driven Nirvana podcast from Mango Solutions. My name's Dave Harris, and I've been talking to Rich Pugh, Chief Data Scientist and Co-Founder of Mango, and Dave Gardner, who leads the Data Science Team at Mango. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to find out more, go to www.mango-solutions.com. Uh, please keep listening. We'll be back with another episode soon.